Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories from the Crisper Drawer. This is episode 13 of season 2, Pictures Without Pizza. Um, I don't know where, I just thought of that name pretty much just before starting to record this because I knew I needed a name for this uh, episode and, well, I don't know. I guess I just have a thing against the Instagram picture people who post pictures of their food and I was like, if you have a picture without food in it, is that now considered regular art because of how crappy our world has gotten in some way and how self-centered it's gotten? Moral discussion, philosophical discussion, blah, blah, blah. Really, I'm just not a fan of people Instagramming pictures of food. Food is meant to be eaten. Now, there is such thing as beautiful-looking food, but I'm not going to take a picture with it on my cell phone and put it on my social media pages. Just not for me. Um, and now I will get off my high horse and talk about various other things. So, Monday was the federal election in Canada, and the Liberals sort of scored a victory by only getting a minority party. So they have minority, and they're going to make a coalition with the 25 or so I think it's 24 seats of the um, NDP, which will give the, those two combined will have a majority government. Now, I don't know how long that, that coalition will last. Um, there are various things the NDP does that I think will fit well with the liberals, and there are various things the liberal want the Liberal Party wants to do under Justin Trudeau that the NDP will very much not support. So we'll have to see where that goes. Um, the benefit I view of having a minority party leading is, is that if something goes wrong, all the parties, all the opposing parties, the opposition, can truly slam them for it and force investigations and not give, and they won't have the ability to just write blank checks about themselves and keep running. It's about keeping them the balance of power in check. And in countries like Canada, where our Senate is not elected, they're just appointed based on the prime minister and what party he works for. So unfortunately, considering the Liberal Party has had the most amount of time in office, of all the parties, they're the ones who have filled the Senate up, and you don't get NDP senators because they've never led the country. You, you get some conservative senators because they've, they've led the country before, but they're not really a second check on government, and they really don't act like it. It it's unfortunate. It's like the House of Lords in the UK, where it's just like there's just a second house that is historically there, but they actually don't do the job. Credit to the United States for them having an actual upper house that does its job and truly, truly tries to keep control of the situation that they're in. And I mean, that's just my criticism of general de democratic politics in Canada, based on the British monarchy system and the parliamentary system that's come out of that. Unfortunately, it just seems to that. We aren't that effective at keeping um, the leading parties' feet to the fire. And besides from the courts, there's nothing else you can really do. The executive branch is a basically an elected wing of the legislative branch, which is elected by um, people. But there's very little accountability in the long run. So it's, it's... I mean, I guess it's technically better in the U.S., where the legislative branch, you only elect the president and the vice president, and then he fills his cabinet up with people he trusts. But um, who have to get? But you see, their nomination has to go through the House and the Senate, and assuming that well through the Senate, and assuming that the Senate is properly nonpartisan, and then look about this by saying, "Hey, is this the guy for the job?" Okay, clear them through. When dealing with the parliamentary system of Canada, they have to be elected members of Parliament, and sometimes it's just who's going to toe the line best. Okay, they're for me, and they're I'm going to put them in their position. Which means, unfortunately, sometimes you get people who are absolutely not ready for the uh, department they're going to head up, but are just, you know, they've supported the leader of the party, so that's their thanks they get. 
and I'm criticizing that both as the liberal government that's currently in power and as historical liberal and conservative governments that have run the country in the past. Uh, but, you know, minority government hopefully won't last too long and that uh, they there's no scandals and there's nothing that uh, Trudeau can really get away with that um, the NDP leader, I can't pronounce his name, I, I forget it, I'm... I know I have a hard time pronouncing it, and I've honestly I've forgotten it. Um, not because he's a bad leader; I think he's a good person. I just don't like the NDP party because they're more socialistic than the Liberal Party. I don't think he's a bad person at all. His politics I disagree with, but I think he's an uh, he's an honest, integrity-driven guy who's trying to make the best country in the world. But he's doing it through a lens that fit socialism ideas versus my libertarian lens. So that's where our philosophical and political disagreements would come from, but I think we could definitely have a sit down, have a drink at a bar or something like that. Not that I drink. I'm having a Coca-Cola right now. I should have it in my mug, but whatever. Uh, okay, so Luigi's Mansion 3 is coming out on the Switch this week on October 31st, which is Thursday. <laughs> Halloween, just around the corner. And we will talk a little bit about that. Uh, hopefully that's going to be good. I've re- I've played the original Luigi's Mansion a couple of times on the uh, Nintendo GameCube. Um, first two times, first time I played it through, I got almost the best ending, and then I had to play through it again to get the best ending. And then um, I played it through a third time because of all these uh, like you know interpretations of events that look pretty uh, interesting that make the the playthroughs either scarier or like you know the the game seem darker than it actually is. There's quite a lot of secrets in there that can be people's imaginations expand on them, just like how in Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie, um, there are people on YouTube who have videos about, like, oh, the uh, sexual and mature content that's are, that are in those games. It's like, okay, there's some that you can definitely extend on, but it's kind of like, okay, you're... you're, you're you're going. You have a dirty mind, and you you have a solution. You're searching for a problem to fit it. You have a solution, and you're trying to find the problem for it, um, sort of thing. But those are fun videos to watch. It's also like watching those old. Um, if you can find them still, hopefully they're still on YouTube. Um, are those old Google Earth secrets from various points in time that are quite hilarious? And yeah, you know, speaking of old things to do, I've been using uh, Open Broadcast. Uh, the open broadcast software uh, OBS, open broadcast studio, I guess it would be. Um, I'm using them with a c- capture card and a composite to HDMI um, upscaler and an old VCR to save um, a lot of my family's old videos at behest of my brother because he was doing it, but his um, Firewire capture card that was composite that was going to his old MacBook Pro really was like dying was like disconnecting or stopping recording every 10 to 15 minutes credit to OS OBS because I can record a three hour long tape straight go no problem at all and it works great and seriously if you have got um I mean I don't know why I said component because the vast majority of VCRs uh would have had a coax to composite at best um, only the VCRs that would have had only the late late generation VCRs um, that would have had probably a DVD feature in it, and I think those like the DVDs only worked on component, uh, w- like only component would work for the DVD system, and they wouldn't work for the VHS. I'm not 100 percent sure about that. I've never owned one of those, but still a pretty interesting thing. And if you can do it, like a capture card from Elgato's, like 200 bucks, an external one. Um, you can get a, 
Avram Media also has some that are like $150 to $200 range. Not super cheap, but not so expensive. Get one of those, Get uh, and then get a uh, an upscaler. Now, that you're going to want to spend $50 to $70 on. As I said before, I bought an cheaper ones on Amazon, and they failed. So I bought a more expensive one, and I think like $70 is the range to look within. If it's between $50 and $70, I think it's pretty good. If it's under $30, I'm like, maybe not worth the price. Component, I would say you probably could take a little bit. It could probably be cheaper on risk because Component's closer to a digital signal than Composite was. So there's a little less processing needed in the card. Uh, and the upscaling card to do it so it might work better i have yet to buy a, one of those yet when i do i will definitely tell you which one i bought unfortunately the composite one i have with s video um i can't find it for sale on amazon anymore um, which is happy why i got it when i did because it's worked flawlessly it sucks that i can't uh shill it because it's a good y- unit at least the one i got is good I will say that these things are from China, so it could be one-off. Like the original one that I bought, maybe I had a lemon and everybody else would have had a good one. I just wasn't willing to, you know, I had that thing for multiple months and I didn't realize how bad it was until like I finally got around. Sometimes I buy these things off Amazon and they sit in my inventory for like three, three to five weeks before I even turn them on. In that case, returning them after three to five weeks is not great. Sort of one of the problems with our instant, like, we need it right now culture related to buying stuff off Amazon, eBay, you know, all these systems. Which reminds me, I have to go look for a Mako pad again for my N64. Um, But um, with the thing of, like, we buy the stuff very quickly. And sometimes we buy it and then we're so busy we don't get around to using it. And if they have these 30-day warranties and you only start using it after, like, on day 31, but you bought it... You bought it a month and a half ago, and this is the first time using it. Really, there's no hours on it. You just are using it, but your warranty is already void. I can understand um, Amazon probably has some way of dealing with that, uh, but I know most manufacturers only treat it like the second you get it delivered to you um, is the 30-day or 60-day or 90-day countdown, depending on it. I, there's There are federal laws in some countries. I Canada and the U.S. have various ones depending on the quality and the level of electronics like TVs and high-end computers definitely require some, um, you know, uh, industrial level equipment definitely has a closer to a one-year warranty no matter what and stuff like that. They can only do so much. So, um, but if you buy these things instantly, like, oh, I want that right now, and you buy it and you don't spend time to go and say like, okay, now that I own it, I'm actually going to go and use it right now. If you're not doing that, it's kind of a wasted thing. But at the same time, just like the uh, composite unit I have, if I had sat on that and thought, oh, I'll buy it later on, the second one, it may not be for sale anymore. So it's kind of, it's, and I don't want to blame the company that makes it because maybe they got, at, maybe the factory that was making them only had so many companies that wanted to buy them and brand them in their name. And that market has largely started to die out because of the mini consoles, because of, um, Hyperkin coming out with the HDMI adapters for the standard connectors on various consoles now. Because almost nobody's using VCRs anymore. Um, Almost everyone who's got a DVD player is probably buying a Blu-ray DVD system now. Which reminds me, I have to keep an eye out for Blu-ray DVDs. um, DVD players in case one of mine dies. Because hopefully that doesn't disappear. Uh, Because of all the digital content we're getting, I'd rather own my content than rent it buy a license to use it based on the behest of the owner of it 
And then when they get tired of people owning it, they just take it away. Um, criticism of all this. So the uh, software distribution networks, both uh, physic, both the like Steam and Origin grade ones, uh, Steam, Uplay, Origin, and also criticism of the streaming services like Netflix, like DAZN, like uh, Hulu, Amazon, uh, Disney's coming out stuff, you know. They will only keep this stuff on there as long as they want. Now, some will have massive libraries that they'll keep for a very long time, but there's licensing agreements that they have to fight with versus buying a physical copy. It doesn't matter if the guy who made that copy doesn't have the license five years after you've bought in the physical copy. If it's still in working condition, you still have that copy. It doesn't matter who owns the license for it anymore. You own that copy. Again, getting off my... Uh, but... Another thing of just the social thing, and I, I know I talk about this a lot. It's just, it, it irks me that that's the way our world is going. Is is we're seeing tangible assets and tangible items become digital items, and then they become we don't own the digital item. We should. We're paying as much money in some cases more to get the digital good, but if one licensee or one person or one lawyer gets gets mad at somebody and does a cease and desist, that's the end of it. Now, maybe you have downloaded it and you own it in your possession, but let's say something, your computer Fs up, your cell phone Fs up, your your tablet Fs up, like your laptop gets Fed up, and you that was your copy, and, now, and you didn't co- back that up, or you backed it up onto a hard drive onto a server that uh, fucked up as well, you've lost it. And now some of those, like Steam, will try to make sure that no new people can buy it, but the physical files for you, the owner, will still be there. Will Google do that with their st- with their uh, Stadia system after the fact? If it fails, will you still be able to get the files for that unit? Um, will you still own that game? Or is it just gone? Will we see the same thing? Will Will Ubisoft do and EA do s- sneaky little bullshit things? Will Bethesda do sneaky little bullshit things? Uh, that reminds me. Uh, this is Fallout seventy six getting um, the uh, Fallout first thing. Go see other guys for that. Like go go see Jim Sterling. Go see um, uh, who else should really talk about? It? Like Jim Sterling's probably got the best on it. Young Yaz got a little bit of coverage on it, but Jim Sterling's just try them and Angry Joe. Go see Angry Joe because. He ripped them a new one on that. And right, too, it's it's terrible what happened in that. So for those who don't know what it is, is there's now a subscription service for Fallout 76, which is a, a massively multiplayer game of the Fallout series that was released in 2018 that really just... It's, it's a year old now, almost. And it's really not gone well by any stretch. Uh, by any measure, it has not been a success. So they decided to release this um, this subscription service that would give you, if you paid for it, $100 a year, $13 a month. Uh, so $13 a month if you want the individual month, uh, $100 a year. And that that pretty much gives you like three months for free based on the $13 a year model. So that's actually a pretty, I mean, it's not really generous. Uh, that's an expensive thing. You can get a lot of stuff for 100 bucks in the US. Um, you can get Game Pass for Xbox for that. And hey, play many games. Um, you could probably you could also get the uh, PlayStation Now game system, which would give you the their games on that too, where for about the same price or a little bit 
more combined with the Xbox Game Pass. It would maybe be 120 bucks here, but you get a way bigger selection than one game with uh, 1,650 in-store credits and like specialized things and private servers that turns out... Uh, as things started, find people started finding out weren't actually working, and an infinite scrap box. Now, Angry Joe um, and Jim have definitely gone, and Jim Sterling have definitely gone into way more depth of this, covering it, and are just finding it hilarious. And it's said that it's Bethesda, which used to be a great studio, um, they've always been a good publisher, but now they. They've gone from being a really good studio to not being that good. And, of course, Outer Worlds, Obsidian, one of their subs subsidiaries that uh, separated from them and were able to self get this uh, self-funded game out, which apparently is the amazing spiritual successor to Fallout New Vegas, which is the first and only Fallout game I've actually played. So I guess I've played one of the best ones from the original guys, um, at least in the 3D realm. I've never, I haven't played Fallout 2 one or Fallout Tactics and some of the older classic ones, um, which are which are apparently pretty good. From a few of my old older friends who had played those, had told me those games were quite amazing. Sad I haven't got around to them, but life has been busy. Anyway, um, they've really covered that way better than I do, and it's just it's it's sad. We're seeing studios and major publishing houses just trip over very simple things. At least. As a, from a gamer's perspective, I'll say this, they seem simple to us. Like, like you, you should be catching these bug fixes that have been around it around for a long time. Like, you know, sound glitches. Why are why is it taking you a full year and six heavy patches to, to f still solve that and you still don't know what you're doing? I wonder how many um, independent contractors they hired out for various works on uh, Fallout 76 using the Fallout 4 engine. Um, and they sped through the process because they wanted to get it released really quickly, and now a lot of those guys are in the wind, and they don't contact them, or they didn't keep proper track of who's doing what. I mean, pure speculation. I hope that a lot of it was done in-house. But most of the guys who did in-house got fired or quit or laid off or whatever and went to go work at other studios, and now the guys who figured out how to do those things that probably would have patched those bugs don't work for the company. And the documentation wasn't done that well because everything was being rushed and so nobody actually spent the time to document. It's quite um, quite terrifying as a game developer to come to, to, come to that realization that you can't fix something because you probably don't know the proper documentation to, that goes around it to solve it. And that's a terrible programming thing when you have these bugs that you've known about from the start and you still haven't fixed them. And yet now you're going to charge 100 bucks. Oh, and the um, NPC characters that we were going to add and like the thing that was actually going to make the world great and that potentially was going to allow mods to enter and all the stuff, that's going to go either go behind a $100 pay paywall or going to be delayed so the $100 pay uh, subscription service is going to come up first. Just, just maybe not the best thing. Not the best way to make money. Make, uh, you know, if a game is really good, people will keep paying for it. Um, or if the game is manipulative enough, people will pay for it. A la FIFA, uh, NBA, NBA 2K, um, <laughs> Grand Theft Auto Online. You know, various other things. And I was going to talk about, uh, let's, uh, let's just say this also, um, See, I've been watching, uh, so for the last two years, I've been watching SWAT Team and SEAL Team, uh, SWAT and SEAL Team on CBS, and they've been pretty good. Kind of pissed off last week that CBS, obviously tra transmitting to Calgary, uh, the Calgary area, had sound issues, and I hope that was just transmitting, uh, 
to the local distributor, and that wasn't CBS in general. Um, because I there was definitely some dialogue. It's like every like twenty seconds, like you know, a quarter second of sound was just lost and sounded glitchy. But th- those shows have been doing very well, in my opinion. I I really do enjoy watching them. And and Stumptown with uh, Kobe Smulder, it's just oh, I love that show. Just love it. I haven't watched uh, Ma'am Secretary. I miss it. Like I set up to record a season episode two. I have it uh, as a series recording on my uh, DVR, and it missed episode two. Why the fuck? Like, did CBS um, bump it for something else? Evidently not, because it it still aired. Uh, Just kind of pissed me off, and then I have to go and find it online and watch it there. Um, I had to do that with Stumptown Episode 2, but that was my fault, because I set up to record Episode 1, but I didn't set it up as a series recording, so my fault. Um, Because you get too used to the convenience thing, so now I actually actively look to make sure I've set them up as proper uh, series recordings. Uh, okay. So, um, let's go into the DVR VVR thing. So I was talking about, um, how VCRs back in the day, uh, VHS based VCRs. And I'm fairly certain that some Betamax ones did this too, where you could actually record a channel. You would have to put your, um, I mean, you would have to put your coax into your VHS or, you know, your VCR video cassette recorder unit, which would probably be VCS or VHS or Betamax. Uh, people don't know what those are. You're younger than me. Look them up on Wikipedia. There were two competing cassette-style videotape formats uh, because magnetic tape was relatively cheap per foot uh, for storing video information, and even today, tape is actually very cheap for storing data, but it's just slow access. So that's... And there were... um, there were some reliability issues over the long period of time because tapes would be played multiple times. If you're using tapes as like data center steward, you record it and it's meant for a backup and maybe once or twice you'll bring that tape out and use the backup. Or once you have a sufficiently farther version down in the tape library, um, you go back to the original and start rewriting over the old tapes. But it takes like, you know, hours a day. It takes like f- multiple hours to run a backup, like these 50 ter- these like 5 terabytes or 6 terabytes or 10 terabyte um, data tapes. And, sa- and But with cassettes, you could get th- uh, recording anywhere, from, depending on the quality. Uh, I don't know if they actually add quality features, but I know I have a videotape upstairs that's a 6-hour long tape. It is 6 hours long. Um... <laughs> Uh, it probably actually wasn't. It's probably closer to four hours, but my counter said it was six hours. So I think it was, uh, yeah, it was six hours because when I did the full rewind, it came out to, it was it stopped at six hours, 51 minutes. When I did the full rewind, it ended at 51 minutes. So it was a six hour long tape. That version must have been some f- trick they did, but I don't know how they would have done that with VHS. Maybe there was a quality thing it could control. Um, but, you know, you got those and then, uh, quite quite interesting, but you could only get the movie. So then, of course, with DVDs, we got uh, different audio tracks and subtitles were able to be put into them. Cool. Um, special features, stuff like that. But you could only put so much data on a, on a DVD between 7 and 14 gigs. I think, like, some of the end goal ones, uh, which were super dense, were, like, later dual layers were closer to 10 gigs, and there were, I think there were a few experimental 14 gigs. I don't remember them. Um, actually going out and me seeing them. Um, maybe a few game developers used them at the very end of the DVD era when Blu-rays were c- becoming a thing. 
Now, of course, Blu-rays are the current DVDs for video games on the Xbox, on the PlayStation, and uh, we'll see how the next generation PlayStation even... It's, it looks like it will have an optical drive, because it's going to be backwards compatible with uh, PlayStation 4 games. It's going to have to have an optical drive on it. Um, I hope that optical drives come back. But anyway, where I was going with that is how VHS and Betamax recording systems were basically a DRM-free way to record because DRM weren't really big back then and copyright was like the cable companies had arguments over copyrights and, and some of the uh, distribution companies did because they sold would sell tapes after the fact of the shows um, or of collections of the shows but it, it was a much smaller market than it is today where people like want to binge binge watch or live stream or like collect DVD collections because of space storage issues you were more buying movies than you were buying really TV shows because you could only get like five episodes of a 30 minute syndicated TV show on a tape. And you probably wouldn't even get that. You'd probably buy like, I remember I had, um, I had a Digimon tape that was, uh, four episodes, which was from the first season, like near the end of the first season dealing with, uh, um, when they came back to Tokyo and it was fog and it was, uh, Myotismon or whatever. I think that was how it is. And it was the first time we saw warp ditch evolving in the TV show. Boy, does that make me look, uh, old because that was back when I had the flu um geez I think that was grade seven or eight I can't remember it was maybe it was uh no it was earlier than that it was grade five actually um so that's a long time ago I remember buying the tape afterwards because I was in hospital when I actually watched the special but then I bought the tape afterwards because I wanted to see it it was only four episodes on that tape four episodes that's 88 minutes in syndication with like filler. They do like a few sec, like a 10 second filler, just like how Pokemon and their tapes did it too, where they would put the entire poker rap at the end of episodes, uh, at the end of the uh, tape, instead of just at the, instead of just like one section of it. Oh man, I love the original poker rap. I I I still that tangent <laughs> going off on a tangent here but anyway it was just uh the benefits back then and now i'm looking at it because we have dvrs pvrs um most of the time they are connected into our digital uh digital subscription boxes for our either cable or satellite um pretty much that's how it is and those are set up on those guys proprietary software and formatting so, so you can't really pull the data out of them, at least not to my knowledge. There's probably people who have figured out ways around this, and I know there are private DVR units you can buy that will totally do that. Um, but uh, you have to do... I forget how you do that. There's a t trick of how those work downstream of them. But the old, in the old days, you just put a composite cable in your VHS, I mean component... Uh, no, coax cable in your VHS. It would come out of your VHS and go straight to your TV. And you'd use the VHS to select the channels. You'd only keep the TV on channel 3 or 2, whatever the standard channel for that, that VHS or uh, Betamax player was. Um, and that's where you would keep the basic channel for on your TV. You wouldn't select TV channels. You'd use your, um, you'd use your VCR to do that. Now, if you recorded a show and you had a good quality tape and you had good clean heads, you had to actually clean the heads of those, believe it or not. And by the way, people who have electronics... Um, specifically larger electronics with large air caps with large systems. After 
after five years, you should truly open it up and like blow them out. And probably every three years, you should do a heavy cleaning. And if you got big desktops, do it once a year. Get like a get like a big can of compressed gas, or if you've got an air compressor, you know, regulate it back a little bit. Um, I did mine at the uh, midway through September, uh, just on my back deck, and I blew out my uh, my PC, and that's actually kept its temperature down about five degrees. I do mine about once every year anyway. Um, I used to do it because I didn't. Ha- it was so heavily connected into where it was going in my old house, um, where I live with my parents. I would have to. <laughs> I would use the built-in vacuum cleaner, like the uh, yeah, the the built-in vacuum cleaner. Put it on one side, open up both panels, and blast the compressed air into the vacuum cleaner. It actually meant uh, I was pretty clean because I wasn't dealing with a lot of dust going in the atmosphere. Um, and it's being spread around. Now I just do it outside. I just carry it out into my back deck and blast it out into the wind, and there, the dust is gone. We're doing that, and I hope that um, in the future more electronic companies design their stuff with that. Um, I guess they, they, the reason they don't is because of the right-to-repair issue. They don't want people having the right to open up and repair their own things, but I think that would be beneficial in the long run because dust will eventually cause circuitry problems and overheating problems. That depends on also how robust and how heavy the stuff is. Like, eventually, I know lenses are going to die on my uh, Xbox, on my GameCube, stuff like that. I'll have to get replacement lenses of them. But that's relatively cheap stuff to do, and those will those, those lasers will always be around because always somebody's going to have an optical drive somewhere. Um, and they're just little tiny LED-like things, so that's not actually that hard to get my hands on. And I have no doubt that somebody will always be making it. It'll be probably another... Um, there'll probably always be a supply of them lying around because they'll be useful because laser lenses are used for all sorts of things. It's just these ones can be specially set up. Like going back to that, you'd record a show if you wanted to, going back to the recording topic. You could record a show if you had a VHS player. Um, you'd record your show, and then if your friend had a VHS, you could pass it over to him. Now, I know the cable companies and the distribution companies didn't like that in general, but they, they basically um, didn't really care about that. If you're recording it once, because you could only really record once. I mean, maybe you could build a deck system where you could record it multiple times, but you, you weren't the one doing that most of the time. So you deal with that, and now with the DVR-PVR era, without buying an external unit or finding a way to break through the encoding that your cable or satellite company provides, it's really hard to share that stuff unless you guys have subscriptions. And now we know that um, Netflix is going after, is, is starting, at least in the United States, and I know other companies are starting to do it too, uh, mostly in the U.S., but some in Canada are going after the password sharing too. Because they don't want uh, you know 50 people using Netflix on one account. So I don't know how they're really going to go after that, that effectively. Um, are they, if they going to start doing IP tracking, that's not going to end pretty well. Um, uh, because somebody could complain, much like me, because I travel around quite a lot. I could be watching Netflix from, my, from the two places I work at. Highly unlikely. In fact, impossible, because I'm not going to watch Netflix at work. But let's say I was asked to stay over late at my other job. Uh, they're, you know, just... Something was going on, they just wanted me to stay after hours. On the internet, I definitely watch Netflix on that. Um, let's say on those two places. Um, let's say you're at a friend's place where you you have uh, a ta- video on your list that you guys want to watch together. 
you're the original rights holder. You're the one who paid for the license from Netflix. If you're watching it there and they cut you off and say, oh, that's not you, it's like, well, first of all, you have to prove it's not me. <laughs> me. And I demand a refund if you do it mid-month. Um, second of all, I could do it at my parents' place. I could do it at my house. I could do it at various other places. Like, let's say I'm at a meeting somewhere and we're like, hey, we, we've got time. Let's watch an episode of blah, blah, blah. I'll do, do something like that. Um, let's say I'm on vacation in uh, the U.S. I'll watch Netflix there. See, it's a, it's a, um, I wouldn't say it's a slippery slope. I would say that they have to be careful of how they do this because they could actually alienate people who are paying for it. Um, and now their goal is to um, limit what they would say is piracy by like one person paying for subscriptions and passing it out to their friends. Yeah, you're trying to maximize profits, but you get really got to think, is that the best way to go about it? Maybe get better content. If people are paying for full-year subscriptions and they're watching, like, three things a month at best, three movies, maybe a TV show a month at best, and they might only be logging in to it every three months, what's the harm of letting another person use it for the other two months of the year? You've already made your money from me. Now, I get that you would argue saying, he's a different person, he should buy his own account and pay us for it. It's true, but I guess uh, the other way I could... It's true, and that's now arguing about the satellite and the cable thing. You're saying, okay, so I'm like an end user of a satellite and cable. I will pay for it no matter what, and I can't redistribute it based on my own costs or something like that. Maybe a guy pay Like, I'm not selling it. I'm just giving him the opportunity. The only difference is, is that unlike satellite and cable, where the only way that person could benefit is come over to my house, I'm... With our digital world, it'd be like, wow, you, you, I'm not going to be using mine for a few months. I'm busy working on projects. Go uh, go watch it now. Now, I, I get it from the company side as well, is, is that you are having people who are consuming content that aren't paying for it. But somebody's still paying. You just wish that every individual who was watching it had their own account. Now, that's now the unfortunate thing is, the, truly, the only way you're going to actually ma- get that victory is you're either going to do IP blocking and control, or you're going to do MAC address c- communication. You're going to try to lock people down. Of course, people are now using VPN systems to bypass that, so you're going to basically be hitting VPN servers, and you're like, I don't know. I have 500 people logging on who are hitting this VPN server. I don't know who are who. They may all have legitimate license keys. They may all be legitimate people who have paid for it. They just don't want their full internet connection completely exposed. So then what do you do? And I understand, like, you want the maximum profit for your company. Maybe it's time to start thinking, like, you know, you know, build the quality and they build quality content and the people will come. And that seems like a cop-out for people who, like, that seems like a bad cop-out of, you know, if you build it, they will come. You're not obviously providing good enough service so people shouldn't be using it uh, who aren't willing to pay for it. And yet they're piggybacking on somebody else, but you're not... Um, you know, you're trying to act more like a government where everyone must pay what you think they should pay versus them, like, I don't know. I don't know where my mind is going on that. I guess there's, you know, if you really want to push everybody back into piracy and the copyright companies losing their minds and you guys like Netflix and various other, uh, Netflix losing out because then everyone creates their own subscription network, which is going to happen. Um, 
and then people just start pirating off each other and you get prices way out of the wild where you know you get $79 a year subscription packs versus some companies that will charge $150 a year for their subscription services and you're like well the guy who charges me 72 has 9000 titles and the guy charging me 150 has literally 500 titles why is he charging way more for less content than this guy and you're getting and then you're getting the, the argument of, well, ours is high quality or like, you know, blah, blah, blah. We've got so much data and content in this world, excluding and just in paid subscription services. More than any person, any one individual has time for TV shows, movies, um, news systems, podcasts, uh, all these things that you can pay for, for cartoons, anime, um, Anime reading systems, audiobooks, like all these systems that you could get your hands on. There's more than we as humans would be able to naturally get out in our entire life. So maybe it's time we start approaching it of we'll only pay. Maybe we should go back to the a la carte way of I only pay for what I want. It would be a crazy way going back to pre-subscription streaming models, like back to the original iTunes idea of like, I'm only going to buy that one song. I'm only going to pay for that one song. And I get that one song forever. Versus, I'm gonna buy a I'm gonna buy a one month subscription to Netflix to watch um, all the shows I want, and oh, the shows I really want that I thought were on are region locked in a different area. So now I have to go and buy a VPN subscription to access those. Oh, and Netflix now blocks that VPN because they think that anyone who goes to that VPN server, even though I've paid for my Netflix, is a blah blah blah. I guess that goes back to my whole thing of like, you know, disown. As a Canadian citizen who used the Canadian credit card, it sucks that when I go to the U.S., I can't watch disown. I can't can't watch football down there on disown because it's not re- it's region locked because NFL Network does their own through NFL Game Pass does their own and they give NFL Red Zone exclusively to um, in the U.S. to Directv. <laughs> it's just like. Because DirecTV doesn't want that competition. It's like, no, open the markets up. Open competition everywhere. If Netflix and Disney had the same movies and they were offering the same price, there would be equal competition. But if Netflix, but if they were both creating their own quality content and they both had the same historical library, that would be an interesting thing. If they both had the same library up to 2007 and then that's where you have the divergence, who would win? Is Netflix getting better content or is Disney putting out better content? My argument might be that Disney is because they're still a movie studio. They know how to make massive movies that make millions of dollars, uh, including up to billions of dollars, like, uh, you know, whatever is going to happen with the upcoming Star Wars and the, uh, you know, the Marvel Universe. We'll have to see what happens there. But at the same time, maybe Netflix has a better distribution network already designed. Maybe, you know, somebody pays for Disney, but they find out, like, the servers in their area are so overtaxed by people trying to log into them. You can't get good quality. You don't get a good streaming service. Maybe Netflix is worth paying for because of that. Maybe you're not getting all the newest stuff, but you're at least getting consistently high-quality service. That's an argument that all us humans are going to have to start making in the near future. Who are we going to pay for? Are we going to pay for them all? I don't know why. I, I don't know why you would. And the idea of picking and choosing every month seems to be not as great either because 
they need to start releasing a full inventory of their libraries online so you can choose when you're doing it. Disney might be better in the long run, because once their system goes up, I wonder if they'll do negotiations with them. What I would do if I was Disney or any of these things is I would not pull my titles completely off. What I would do is I would create a, a library that I would gladly allow other services to use, but I would make sure that when they're getting it, it's not exclusive to them. I would say, this is not going to be exclusively on your system. But if people aren't paying for ours, at least they can watch it on there and we get a cut of your action from that. We're just building a walled jungle everywhere. These guys are going to have to... They're all going to have to play ball with each other in some way, shape, or form. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the servers that Netflix is renting are being... Could even be owned by Disney operations or whatever. Who knows what's going to happen? But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all happens. Disney's supposed to launch soon in Canada. Um... Oh, yeah, HBO Max in the U.S. is coming out uh, next year, and that's going to be Studio Ghibli's stuff is going to be on there. Fortunately, we don't get Studio HBO Max in Canada because they're locked in with Craven. I think I mentioned that before. So none of Studio Ghibli's films, as far as I'm concerned, are coming to streaming in Canada, which is why, again, another example of buy them, buy the physical copies, because then you have to deal with licensing fights between various places. And who's going to do what? Because I have no doubt that Studio Ghibli and G-Kids, who owns the distribution rights, worldwide distribution rights now for um, for Studio Ghibli films outside of Japan, they, they make a deal with these guys, and then do, are those guys going to then make the same deal with the Canadian distributors, or is it going to be a fight because they don't have the right to make the deal with the Canadian distributors because the other guys do? They said, we picked you for the U.S., if you make uh, that deal with Canada instead of us, you're stealing our product information. It's like, oh gosh, I guess property information, um, prop intellectual property. There's going to have to be a law rewrite on that soon, globally. Because um, right now, it's set up, like besides from China and a few other countries, like pretty much all intellectual property. If, if you have proof of original art, um, like in movies and in TV shows, it's pretty much like if it's the original version, it's held by that person, the original production team. But it's the distribution networks around the world that get to choose who get how they get it. So it's 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 this weird thing of like, what happens if the guys who made an a TV show in the United States that wasn't signed on with CBS, ABC, Fox, you know, that was their own, um, they're their own company that that basically. They sell each show distribution rights individually to whatever network they want. It's like goes up for auction, and uh, they see who they can get for each individual show. So they make for everybody. Studio that makes for everybody seems like uh, it would be a weird way to do it now, especially with how the systems are set up. But it probably should be the way in the future, because then you can just pick and choose who you're going to get the shows to and see if you can get the maximum amount of money. And I get from distribution networks, like, because the distributors do have way more pull, but they're starting to die out too. And Disney's the biggest distributor in the world, and they obviously can't serve... They need to have their own system. They need to have their own walled uh, play park for their uh, for their for their digital content to draw people away from everybody else because uh, they need to make more money. Granted, it's this whole thing of we need to make all the money because shareholders want to make all the money. So it brings up this thing of like... But let's say... You um, 
as the company who makes the content, you then sign a global distribution deal with one other company. You say, we trust you to distribute our content all around the world. So that's now another a new middle person that you didn't have before. Now that middle person, is if it's a global deal, it's good because they probably directly talk with the original creator and say, okay, we're going to get you the best amount of money, the best deal everywhere for you. For you. Like the best deal everywhere. They then do a deal with another company that is a true global, which is another global distribution network, but say explicitly in that deal, this is for the United States only. And then they find out the guy they gave the deal for U.S. distribution went and did uh, distribution Canada or somewhere else. Highly unlikely this would happen, Ben, by the way. Just my own perspective on it. But let's say that the guys, um, let's say Studio Ghibli and G-Kids um, have their own idea of who's going to do Canada, who's going to do the U.S., who's going to do this. And they, they give HBO it um, for the U.S. And then HBO, through their deal with Crave, get into a negotiating fight with G-Kids because they want it for Canada. But G-Kids is like, no, um, we'd rather have Disney Plus distribute it for Canada. But now you've got two Disney Plus libraries being created. HBO would rather have the same library going through both systems as would Disney would rather have both libraries. But maybe to get both libraries, you're not going to get the same um, CFM price that you would get f through various other companies. So it brings on this thing of, you know, for the artist, for the creators, their distribution is either a massive negotiation all around the world for every single country, or they have to take regional commands, so they have to give regional distribution to big companies, and then hope that negotiates out, or they give a global distribution to one team. They say, you guys are the best at this. Find out who is the best guy for us. And they go around, and they find the best, and they find out that those guys want to uh, find... They find out through various distributions that they are doing pretty well in some areas, but they're not carrying that, and they're finding people I would not buy in if they would, and they have to create a new inventory for that, a new library for that spot. Now, build, is building a new library going to be that expensive? Maybe not, but maybe it is because of all these just, just different uh, fighters on these things about, like, you know, if you go to a, the movies in Canada versus the movies in the United States, there are different distribution, like, front companies and production teams that that logos that go through versus in the US for the same sh for the same damn fucking movie. And when you buy a Canadian DVD with a fucking French pack gone, it's got a difference in the US one. It's just how it is and also the Canadian ones have the Canadian ratings guide from the Canadian government that I don't give a shit about. But now I'm used to the Canadian guy. <sighs> it's just it, it's it's slightly disappointing. I and you know, it's just it's interesting in our in our global world how how the digital world, which is created to basically create turn the earth into one giant mega city, in of digital information being freely distributed, how the how these mega corporations that are really all like legacy products of the 1900s of the 20th century, that have by both using government grants and government sponsored laws and subsidies and various other ways of protecting cultural identities of countries. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that that's in the United States. I know that some of that's happening in the U Canada where like 
we have specific distribution companies for Canada to guarantee 15 plus percent of Canadian content is on that network to protect it, which is just stupid, stupid, stupid. Um, and some of that content's not viewed anywhere else in the world. So we're creating this Canadian content that's only for Canada. You've got 27, 28 plus million. You've got like a, the total population of Canada is like 36 million or something like that. There's no way everyone's consuming that. Why don't you sell it on a global scale? Oh, because it's people who aren't Canadian aren't going to want to consume it. Who knows? Maybe they will. But don't force Canadians to pay for Canadian-only content. If nobody's buying it, then fucking stop making it. And, you know, that's, that's, that's my whole fight about all this bullshit, is, is that I think there are various ways around this entire fight that would make this world way better, would work way more fantastically in all... Um, cases. But we are seeing consistently that these mega, well, these near monolith like companies that have just existed, these corporate empires that have existed because the stock market saved them because they've bought out so much of their competition that they've basically created like a, you know, I forget the, the term. Like there's, there, you know, there's only like five or six giant guys in each realm. Like in the movie distribution companies, you get, you know, you got Disney, you got Fox, which now is owned by Disney. You've got Universal, you've got Warner Brothers. Um, who else do you have? Uh, you do have more than that. Uh, you've got Paramount. Um, I don't even know where Paramount fits on that. I think Paramount's owned by Universal, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, but, you know, you've got these... Um, You've got the these set distribution networks and distribution companies that exist over time. Um, but you see that some of them have threads into other companies, like NBC Universal has threads into various other things. Warner's got HBO. Um, Fox and Disney have their own networks and all this stuff. <clears throat> but for that media-level content, they're also amazingly large Um in the music scene, they basically control a various degree of the music scene. So, like, so like, yeah, let's see the big... Columbia Pictures, okay, they're still around. Um, yeah, Paramount. MGM, which is owned by... I forget who MGM. United Artists. Um, but you don't have, like, these are... Most of them are uh, DreamWorks and Sony. Sony's a unique one where they actually are software... They're a hardware company that owns um, video production. So they're kind of a little odd in that, but they do own rights to various things. Um, but you see that there are these big companies, and it's very hard for smaller companies to truly get into that because of how expensive a startup is. Like, movie stars aren't going to do jobs for, you know, like, you're not going to get Tom Cruise to do a movie for $70,000. He's going to want millions of dollars, or he's going to want, like, a $1 million like payout at the start, but he's going to want like 20% royalties or something like that, which by the way, th credit to his agent for getting him that when he first truly started like uh, with Top Gun and I think, um, you know, uh, Mission Impossible, just like brilliant to that. And then of course he bought the rights to, practically bought the rights to the series after that. Um, he's a very smart man in that case. So I will credit him for being intelligent enough to think that is a way to go. But they can only exist for so long. They're all, they're, they have stockholders. They've got various other companies that they've bought out. Anytime a competitor truly steps up, they buy them. And th to really like make them feel good, they have like Buena Vista Pictures, Fox Searchlight, 
you know, they've they've got these smaller side studios that make movies that aren't aren't they're not meant to make money. They're meant to be artsy. But but you notice how they restrict the releases of those and they don't take the big risks on them because they know they're not going to make millions and they're not going to be seen by everybody and there's a select audience. So they choose who's going to see it. And I respect them for at least doing that. Like the thing with the mega companies, they have the money to throw around to do that. But maybe a smaller company could have done the same movie and maybe they would have released it worldwide. They maybe would have got distribution as far as they could, and maybe it would have worked amazing. Maybe they would have made millions or a couple of hundred. That couple, maybe they may. Maybe they would have made a couple of hundred million from that. Probably not, but it would have been worth the shot. Versus Fox Searchlight, it's like we'll put it instead of three hundred and fifty thousand, like three hundred thousand theaters, we're going to put it in t- five thousand theaters because that's all we trust it's going to do for. And we're going to do that for two weeks instead of five. W- instead of seven weeks, or whatever the run length is. And you see, like, how these studios have slowly just been bought up, or have, like, sh- massive shares being bought by somebody else. And you see that with, uh, with, now you've got that also with the video game industry, where various publishers for the video game industry own so many studios, now we're seeing the slight reverse of that, where studios are finding out they can independently publish their games because of digital distribution and build and how relatively cheap it is to actually build their own distribution network globally, because they don't have to deal with the stupid BS of going around the world, except for a few countries that have that, like Germany and Australia, where you have to get it done. But you don't need to have your game certified in Canada or the U.S. to sell in Canada or the U.S. You absolutely don't. You don't need the game certified in Japan to sell in Japan. You need it for Australia. You need it for fucking China because the Chinese government ain't going to let you put your game in without them saying, yes, this is good. Uh, I think Korea has some restrictions on that too just because of like the tensions with North and South Korea. But I, I guess I should get off that uh, whole tension and just say like, it's weird that the w- digital space that was created to basically make the world smaller has has unfortunately by these legacy companies that probably shouldn't have survived the moving over to digital without the fact that they had billions of dollars in cash that they could move towards it, um, had massive shareholders who were, who massive shareholder operations and retirement investment incomes being based on them and lobbied the government to get tons and tons of money to support them. I think that, if they if um they would have probably seen a much more evo- a true evolution in their business model faster if it wasn't for the fact that various governments were propping them up to s- defend ideas and defend like cultural beliefs of Disney is American so Amer the U.S. government needs to support it's like there's no way, way saying that Disney is not American but it doesn't need the U.S. government protecting Disney and giving them royalties and subsidies and all these payouts to make sure that they make the make the movie in X, Y, and Z. Just make the frickin' movie. I don't know why it's that hard. I know movies are very expensive, but if they're going to make millions and millions of dollars, a bank would take a risk on it if they got a payout. So I think, like, or maybe you do, like, you get shares for the movie. You crowdfund a movie. It seems like a way that you could do it now. Pre-sell tickets to a movie. And if you get fifty million or a hundred million dollars, you're probably going to be able to make money off of that. I think it's just 
the old model of business should be challenged. Not to destroy it, but maybe to disrupt the old line of thinking and give room for a new space of like, we have not done this before. But because we haven't done it, can we really dismiss it? Is it not? Could it be a better way? Just a question to ask. It's like we've got all this amazing new technology that's making things easier. Like, you know, you can do a podcast from your house with a webcam and a good mic. And a re- like you need a relatively good computer, which, okay, a couple of maybe a thousand plus dollars there. A mic, 200 bucks, Matt, 200 bucks to 500 bucks, maybe $700 for a really good quality mic and a sound card using XLR. If you're using USB, one to $200 range. Webcam, one to $200 range again. If you're probably two to $300 if you're paying for a 4K. You need to go to internet uh, subscription. Sucks. But, you know, you're going to pay for that. Um, so you're going to pay a good amount of money, like maybe two to $3,000 at max. Uh, excluding Now, that's including a computer, screens, and all the peripherals and data space to do like a video podcast or a audio one. You don't need... Video stuff, so probably a little, probably less than two thousand dollars. You could do that for, with a basic computer, even just like one that could run Audacity and the internet connection, good enough to upload an hour-long podcast file for, on the internet, and then you pay for an internet service to do it, or you pay to host it yourself. It's just, I guess, how I would think about this is, is that distribution of this content for people like us, for content to be passed on to each other seems to be getting easier and easier and more cost effective yet the legacy media such as the movies like and i'll say this seeing a movie in theaters everyone there's always a movie worth seeing in theaters but is the 12 and 13 theater cinemas worth it anymore or is it worth going to five and six like you know slightly more spread out maybe not spread maybe maybe closer together like five like, you know, maybe every mall you get three or four movie theaters. I remember back when Market Mall had four movie theaters and when Northland Mall had four movie theaters. The, the, there was no movie theaters up at Crowfoot. There was no movie theaters in Westles then. You could always go, you know, you could go to the mall and watch a movie. Have a lunch at food court and watch a movie and buy some clothes or something. Buy a video game on the way out. It's a cool day. You could do that on a Saturday. Now, you go to the movies, I mean... You go into a big place, you're buying your own seats now, so you actually know how many seats you're getting, and you know you're going to get those seats because you're reserving them. Um, you can get like seats with speakers in the chair that you can lie back, lie back in. You're getting these theaters where you can order food. The theaters seem to be doing all these upgrades to make more people want to come. And credit to them, they're actually doing it. And they're making the uh, experience way more enjoyable. But the old guard, the old distribution systems, are exactly the same as they were 30 fucking years ago. The only technology that's changed is how they get the distribution stuff. And you still only see a few companies doing it. And what you see is, are less people going to the movies or are they picking their movies that they're going to go to in theaters a little rare, a little less? So, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know I would be able to go off on this tangent and rant the way I have. I guess that's impressive for me. But... Uh, I guess I just think that we're coming to a point soon where we should actually see various changeouts of this system where independent guys like me and other people 
could be able to produce a movie and get it distributed to a relatively good audience for not too much money. And, you know, for price of technology is always going down. Price of, um, you know, when you look at the consumer price index, besides from video games, for some reason, um, almost everything that is entertainment-based, that is completely discretionary spending, like there's absolutely, you never have to spend money on this if you don't want to. Um, it's absolutely not needed to live and has almost minimal government intervention into it, has continuously got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. The only reason why video games have got expensive is because of um, the inflation and how much money studios are spending on it. And um, there probably might be an argument of, um, because of online play has gotten so much bigger, how they have to make money back on the PC end. But you'd also think like... um, you know, if you're paying for Sony, Xbox, and Nintendo subscription services, you would think that some of that, those subscription services, would pay for the servers to play the games on, you know, call, the Call of Duties, the Fortnite, stuff like that. On PC, it's obviously a different way. Um, like, Fortnite's for free on PC. And you're asking their internet connection, so I don't. So microtransactions are paying it for for it that way, but there's obviously um, monetization ways. Granted, you're seeing the companies that are forcing the money up are stock-based companies, and of course they're the big guys. So when everyone, when Activision says that they're going to charge seventy dollars for a game in the U.S., when the last price, when they used to be fifty dollars. Is everyone else going to stay at the $50? Or are they going to be like, well, Activision's going to sell a billion Call of Duty copies this year, or like $500 million to Call of Duty in the first week alone is probably what they're going to sell. Fuck yeah, we're going to move up to the $70 range because if people are willing to absorb that, we're going to just start doing it. Start finding games on sales. I wish Nintendo would get rid of the Nintendo tax. I understand why their games are more expensive from the media and the hardware they're building. But it should be. But they shouldn't be a seventy-dollar game. They should be a fifty-dollar game. Go back, fight for it. And I know the money has lost value because of inflation and governments printing money like there's no tomorrow and not caring about that economics. But that's a discussion for another time. And I need somebody smarter than me here to deal with that. Talk about that. So anyway, uh, coming up. Uh, happy the Halloween is coming up soon. Oh yeah, I was going to talk about this. Um, fucking, I I hate, I'm seeing it on Facebook a few times, I don't know if the City of Calgary has posted it, actually, let me just quickly check the Facebook page for the City of Calgary to see if they will post it, um, let's just see if they're, they're gonna post anything about, uh, freaking, uh, um, seems like most of the, you know, I'm, I'm gonna look for a Halloween post that they're gonna do, they might not do one until just before Halloween, but have you noticed how, like, various Halloween, uh, every Halloween, or uh, not every Halloween, but, like, a lot of groups around, like, maybe not police forces, but also community groups post these hilarious things around Halloween about how, um, oh, check your ch- child's candy for uh, THC-laced candies and stuff like that, edibles, like marijuana-based edibles, check them out for uh, oxycodone, uh, check them out for, you know, um, amphetamines-related stuff, um, you know, ecstasy-based candies, and, you know, check out for these things, look out for the poisoned apples, look out for the razor blades and the things like, besides from possibly an idiot 
who got like some drug paraphernalia stuff for free and was just blasted out of their mind and gave it away at Halloween, which I, I, I honestly don't know how that would happen. It probably has happened once or twice in the entire world that celebrates Halloween, like maybe once or twice in the U.S. ever. Versus, um, like, the, the, the razor blade in the apple is a story where it's like, it was actually a relative who did that, which was interesting enough, how that fear was assange. But you still hear about it. It's, you almost never hear, you never hear cases about it happening besides from the original one, which half the time it's, it's that game of telephone where it's been so convoluted after so many stories, we actually go find the real ones. Like, oh, it's because it was a dick aunt who actually hated the kid and wanted to kill him and thought that would be a way to do it and thought he'd get away with it or whatever. So, you know, frick that or, you know, it was just the occasional sociopath and psychopath who do it. But you don't really... Do you really think somebody who's going to pay $40 for a small bag of pot candies is going to give them out on Halloween? There might literally be one person in all of continental United, all of the continental North America that would try that. Would do that. There might literally be one person... And I doubt the guy's got a house that people are going trick-or-treating to. I bet he's living in, in an apartment or he's living on the third f- or he's living in a homeless shelter or he's living on the street or something like that. I highly doubt this guy. Or he lives in a house that's got no working front, door, front porch light. I just, I, I don't know. I don't honestly know about uh, these people who would do that. I suspect that they are around, but I don't think it's going to happen. Because drugs are more expensive than candy. And I don't think uh, people who are legitimately or who enjoy um, ingesting edible marijuana stuff are going to give away a $3 piece of candy when they can go to the fucking grocery store and buy a bag of chocolate bars for $5 that will get 100 kids off their porch versus one. I don't just don't think that's going to happen. I could potentially understand with different with um like by some completely um weird happenstance of a you know a private person making their own thc lace candy and putting their own wrapper on it that looks exactly and giving it to a friend and that wrapper looks exactly like a wrapper for another candy that potentially happening there's no maliciousness in that and every time i see these things it's always about like watch out for the malicious blah 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 Blah. Uh, trust me, if that does happen, we're going to hear way more stories about it, and I haven't heard any yet. And I, I don't know. I think that we didn't, like, I know Canada, we're getting the edibles up soon. I don't know what's going to happen next Halloween. I highly doubt it's going to happen, though, because they're expensive. I just, I don't believe in that. Um, I don't think that's happening. I'm not finding any real evidence of that, and I, I just think it's just it's alarmism by people who are, are who just reject change of the world because they do they're like they're they're sort of in their mindset of like it's true that all all progress is change, but not all change is progress, and so they think and much like me to a degree, I I don't understand the I understand the criticism of legalizing marijuana. I also think that legalizing a non dangerous drug. And I use dangerous in air quotes there because there are actual conditions that could happen. Like if you're not, that can happen through marijuana consumption to a certain degree. But it's not a very addictive drug to most cases. And by by the way, um, uh, 
when Canada legalized it, we didn't see a huge growth in people consuming it. It was pretty much the same people as before. Now they just had a legal means of getting it. Um, that doesn't mean that next year things won't uh, change, specifically when they start, uh, well, when other stuff starts going on. We'll see. We'll see when the edibles are fully enforced, if a few more people try it. I think the, the fear has largely been um, proven wrong about when you legalize something, more people are going to partake in it fully. I think what you might see is you might see a few people experiment with it, but then they might be like, this isn't for me. I legally tried it. I don't want to try it anymore. I abstain from doing this ever again. I think that's what you're more likely going to see, or you're going to see because it's a becomes a casual thing. Um, it might be like I'm only going to do this once every month or two. I'm not going to get like I'm not going to go and smoke my supply every week because goodness knows when the cops are going to kick in my door. It's like I'm buying enough that can last me a few months. I'm going to just slowly have have it, you know, ration how much I'm going to have at a time. I don't know. I'd have to ask a person who was buying it why why they were approaching it that way, and I suspect everyone's got their own reason. I suspect the people who aren't buying it have their reasons for not buying it, not consuming it. So who cares? I do believe that some regulation might have part of that in Canada because of how few places you can actually go and consume it. But I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. It's weird. So let's end on that practically. Let's end on that of the news part and the rant part. Let's go on to the... Really, let's let's close this out by saying... I've got amazing friends. I've got some amazing friends. Today I got back a birthday gift, which is pretty much like MIH. I asked for one cool gift, which was like a good picture, a good group picture with some cool things written on it, or like something like that. And I got that today. Um, my buddy Brent finally like had went and we had got these photos, and his wife had cleaned them up in Photoshop. Um, my brother took the pictures, and he went and got them framed, and it just it looks just amazing i have i'm gonna be hanging it over the electric fireplace in my house it's one of the best gifts i've ever gotten bar none and i just have amazing friends for partaking in that and i was reading their comments they put and it just i just i love these guys so i'm ending that way have friends and have a good time and don't socially isolate yourself like i always do but i know i got a good group of guys who are around me and you know i wouldn't trade the world for them so if any of them say hear that, uh, you know who you are in that picture, and you are my you are my great friends. You are I really appreciate every moment of you, and I appreciate anyone who listens to this too. Thank you for uh, for just even bothering to give this little podcast time a show. We're we're slowly we're getting there. We're getting to the phase where I want to be. It's it's gonna happen very soon. Um, we got some things in the works uh, for the next week and a half and for the next two weeks, but uh, you know, fingers crossed that all works out. Uh, making some pretty, uh, pretty pricey purchases here, but hey, if this all works out, it's going to make this even better in the future. Uh, it's some more learning to do, but man, I, I'm just, you know, fingers crossed everything works out well. So I think that's about it for my episode. Jeez, uh, it's gotten late at night. Um, I got to get some other stuff done today. I have to say that to myself to make sure I keep doing it. Anyway, uh, that was uh, Pictures Without Pizza. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time, uh, which we will be recording on Friday because I am busy next Saturday. Um, anyway, have yourself a good week and a good Halloween. 
Uh, stay safe. Don't do anything really stupid on Halloween, like dressing up as a psychopath or a terrorist or doing something stupid for those who will enjoy Halloween. And for those who don't, just turn off your front porch light and have a nice night. If you got a group of guys together, maybe play a horror game or two. Or if that's not your thing, just play anything. Just get around a good group of people and have fun. And if you can't do that, at least make time for that somewhere. There is somebody out there who wants to have a good time with you. And yeah, just put some time aside to do it. And I know we don't always, uh, in our rush lifestyle with all our gadgets and stuff like that, we truly don't, uh, we don't really think that way as much as we should, but I think uh, it's worth, uh, it's worth fighting for. So we'll, we'll see. Anyway, um, have yourself a good day and good rest of your week. Bye.